Well, let's uh, invite the Lord uh, to guide us in His Word this morning. <clears throat> Our gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that You have chosen to send Your Son to this world He would offer Himself willingly on the cross on Mount Calvary, taking our sin upon Himself, experiencing the punishment that we deserve. And then rising again three days later as evidence that You, Father, Receive the sacrifice that He offered on our behalf. And we, by faith in Him, are fully forgiven and set free from having to pay the penalty of our sin. That is Your mercy and Your grace. And we are thankful this day. We ask that You would help us to fully grasp that reality to be able and willing to extend to others that same mercy and grace. And so we ask that you would help us today to understand this issue of forgiveness. And even more so, that we would have a heart to put into practice. We need your help in this, Lord. Help me as I communicate these words to your people. For Jesus' sake and in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Several years ago, I, I came across a, a, a Christian publication in which this uh, gentleman wrote this little, uh, little story. It says, During a children's sermon one Sunday morning, I, I held up an ugly-looking summer shirt that I wore occasionally around the house. And I explained to the children that someone said that the shirt was ugly and that it should be thrown away. Well, this really hurt me, I explained. I'm having trouble forgiving the person who said those mean, mean things to me. Do you think that I should forgive that person? I asked the children. Immediately, my own six-year-old daughter, Alicia, raised her hand. Yes, you should, she responded. But why? The person hurt my feelings, I said. To which Elisa wisely answered, because you're married to her. <laughs> well, being married to someone is a good reason to forgive them. But even better reason is because, because God calls us to forgive. Not only our spouse, but those who sin against us. In one form or another. And one of the greatest benefits that we have of forgiving other people is that it allows us to live a life that is free from bitterness. It allows us to live a life reflecting to other people who God is. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 30 to chapter 5, verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes these words. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. When we extend forgiveness to others, we are imitating our Heavenly Father. We are imitating Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, that Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow. Certainly, Christ's death was not just an example. It was to redeem us, but it also provided an example to us that we should follow. When we do not forgive, we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so we are commended by God to forgive each other in the same way that God through Christ has forgiven us. Now I'm very aware that forgiveness is a hard topic. It is hard for some to accept that God would forgive them because they know the things they have done. And they have a hard time accepting the forgiveness of God through Christ. Well, let me tell you, when we start talking about forgiving each other, we ramp that up a whole lot more. This is possibly one of the most difficult, if not the most difficult, teaching in Scripture for us to put into practice. Because people legitimately offend, hurt, and sin against us in horrific ways at times. And to be told that we must forgive them is quite possibly the most difficult thing that could be asked of us. In fact, I would suggest it's impossible apart from the work of God in our lives. We must understand, in order to do this, we must understand what forgiveness is and what it is not <clears throat> so that we have a full understanding of what the Bible teaches on this. And then we must be willing to step into it and into the process of truly forgiving other people. So this morning, I want to pick up where we left off last time. <clears throat> You'll recall last week we began looking at these seven sayings from the cross, the things that Jesus spoke while hanging on the cross that we have recorded for us in the Bible. And the very first one we started looking at last week is when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And we talked about this uh, fact that Jesus' forgiveness was for those who participated 
in his crucifixion, including those who were there that day, nailing his hands and feet to that piece of wood and lifting it up. It also included the, the religious leaders who were sneering at him and, and mocking him, the, 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 the soldiers who were casting lots for his garments and were, were ridiculing him. Certainly includes them, but it also includes those who delivered him up. Judas, who delivered him up to the priests for 30 pieces of silver. We have the priests who delivered him up to Pilate because they didn't have the authority to have him executed. And then you have Pilate, who, who knew he was innocent, delivered him up because of cowardice to the soldiers to be crucified. They all have a part in this, and these are all part of who Jesus is most likely talking about when he says, Father, forgive them. But it also includes you and me. Because it's our sin that put him there. It is our sin that caused Jesus to come, leave heaven and come to earth and take on the form of humanity and ultimately go to the cross to take our place. And so that forgiveness extends to us. Father, forgive them. We talked about the fact that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross provides that forgiveness. Because God can't just overlook sin. It must be dealt with. His just nature requires it. Therefore, he sent Christ to be the just, satisfying um, punishment for our sin. Because our iniquities, we talked about last week from Isaiah 59 to our iniquities have separated us from God. But God caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And he, according to Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so in Christ, that is through a trusting relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. His, his sacrifice is applied to our account and we've been forgiven our debt fully and completely and Christ's righteousness is placed onto our account so that we are seen by our Heavenly Father, not as filled with sin, but as full of righteousness. The righteousness of Christ, perfect righteousness, which prepares us to be able to go to heaven one day. Because nobody gets into heaven that is not perfectly righteous. And so the perfect righteousness of Christ is placed on our account. So our position before God is that we have, we have uh, died with Christ, we've been buried with Christ, we've been raised with Christ, made alive with Christ, and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That's who we are in Christ. Fully and completely forgiven and set free from having to pay the punishment. I realize for some of us that is difficult to understand. But it is the gospel. It's the good news of the scriptures. And because of that, God calls us <clears throat> to be his representatives in this world to extend to others forgiveness just as he has extended to us. And so we see our third point is that Jesus' forgiveness provides an example to us. It provides the example for us to follow in his footsteps. So I want to talk, first of all, what forgiveness does not mean. It's important that we have an understanding of this. What forgiveness does not mean. Four quick statements. I'll elaborate a little bit. <clears throat> reconciliation of relationships. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. 
Reconciliation requires that the offending party acknowledge their offense and come before the one that they offended, acknowledging that it's confessing what they did was wrong and seeking forgiveness and a rest, restoration of relationship. We can forgive somebody from our heart, but not trust them in our life. There is a difference. I get this question all the time, almost any time I teach on forgiveness. Somebody will say, you mean to tell me I have to forgive so-and-so who did this to me, and, and you're expecting me to just act like it didn't happen or, or just treat them? I'm not saying that. I never say that because that's reconciliation. Forgiveness is something that happens in our heart, and it's critical for our well-being. But we need to understand, reconciliation is not the same thing as forgiveness. And we see this with our relationship with God. Christ accomplished forgiveness and a positional reconciliation through his death, burial, and resurrection for us. And we receive it by faith. And we are now in a re reconciled relationship with God. But guess what? As we're walking in that relationship, we still mess up. We still commit sins against God. And this is why John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, we confess our sins, written to believers, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This passage in 1 John 1, 9 talks about restoring fellowship with believers and God who have sinned against God after becoming a believer. If we continue in that without confessing our sin, we don't lose the position of our salvation. We lose fellowship with God, and we live a, a defeated Christian life, and we do not experience the freedom uh, and the, the joy and the peace that God has for us because we're living in a place of, of, of lack of fellowship with God. Therefore, we must come before Him confessing, agreeing with Him what we've done is wrong. And we are then cleansed and restored in relationship with God. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not equal. And we must understand that. A second truth about that, that forgiveness is not, is it, it does not mean approving, excusing, or justifying what was done. The Bible never approves or excuses sin. Even Jesus' statement in Luke 23, 34, when he said, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing, is not an excuse. He's not letting them off the hook. It's simply an acknowledgement that they're not fully aware of what's happening, what they're participating in. If they were, he was letting them off the hook, they would not be, need to be forgiven. The Bible never approves or excuses sin. Justification means to make right. And God did that for us positionally through the death of Jesus Christ. But forgiveness does not simply look at something and say, well, they, because they really didn't know what they were doing, I'll give them a pass. No. In John chapter 8, we have a story where, where a woman was caught in adultery. And the religious leaders brought her to Jesus and the, and the text, I'm not going to read it, but the text basically says they were doing this to put Jesus to the test. And they said to him, teacher, what should happen to this woman? The, the law says she should be stoned to death. And they wanted to trap Jesus. 
So Jesus, scribbling in the sand, looks up and says, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. In other words, whoever among you is not guilty of some kind of sin, then you have the right to condemn her. And one by one, the stones start dropping, and people start walking away. And then Jesus looks up, and there's nobody left but the woman in heat. And he says to her, in verses 10 and 11, and straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And then he says this, From now on, sin no more. By not condemning her in that moment, Jesus is not condoning what she did. He's not saying, Well, you know what? Now you made a mistake. Everyone makes mistakes. No, he's simply not condemning her in that moment, but he's telling her what you did was not right. Go and stop sinning, right? Now, it's important for us to understand people's stories. Absolutely important. And if we knew this woman's story, we might find out that this woman was married to somebody possibly, and her husband got, whatever reason, got tired of her and kicked her out, maybe got another woman. And here she is in a society where women can't go and make a living. There's nowhere to go. Maybe she concluded that the only recourse she had was either prostitute herself or to find another man that's not her husband so she had a place to sleep at night and, a, and some food on the table. Maybe she thought that was her only thing she could do. And if that were the case, maybe our hearts would soften and say, you know what, man, we certainly understand. But it doesn't excuse the sin. Forgiving somebody does not excuse or approve and say, well, you know, if I was in that situation, I'd probably do sin. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. But sin is sin, and we've got to acknowledge that. So forgiveness is not approving, excusing, or justifying what was done. Thirdly, it is not a repression of or blindness to what was done. Forgiveness does not require that we forget what was happened to us or we turn a blind eye. And act as if it never happened. Even in Jeremiah 31, 34, what God himself says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. That does not mean that God forgets what we did. It means he doesn't remember it so as to hold it against us. God is an all-knowing God. God can't forget. What he's saying is that because of forgiveness, God will not hold that against them any longer. God will never bring it up again because it's over. It's done with. It's paid for. And so we are not called to turn a blind eye away from what happened and act like it didn't happen or repress our memory in some way. Now, again, when it's a, a small offense, one time, in a relationship with somebody you love and you have all this history, well, you might forget that that happened, right? In fact, I would venture to say that my wife has probably forgotten a lot of the dumb things I've done uh, because I've done so many. She probably doesn't remember some of them, you know. <clears throat> but I can tell you, if, if something continued to happen over and over again, we don't forget those things. But we choose to forgive them. And then fourthly, it doesn't mean pretending that we are not offended. Right? Stiff upper lip. Didn't hurt me. Now, if it didn't hurt you, they don't need forgiveness. 
But if it hurt you and offended you, then they need to be forgiven. And to forgive does not mean we just pretend that it didn't hurt us. Right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Well, guess what? That's not, that's a lie. In fact, in many cases, I'd rather be hit by sticks and stones. Right? Because words do hurt. They offend. They, they, they go deep inside. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, that, we're, that love does not, is not provoked and is not easily offended. And so, yes, we want to be people who are not, who are not easily offended. But when there is an offense, we extend forgiveness. But it doesn't mean we, we pretend it wasn't there. Now, what does it mean? Well, I want to take you to a story in the Scripture. Matthew chapter 18. Probably a familiar story. But it's a story that brings up a question that I think a lot of times we have a hard time answering. Matthew 18. Jesus is telling a story to His disciples in response to a question from Peter about, about forgiving other people. Again, Jesus, the master teacher, could have just explained in a couple of points, but instead he tells a story. Because a story helps us not just understand, but it helps us emotionally get it. When we, when we feel it, when we experience it, we learn so much better. And so here's what, here's what Jesus says. Starting with verse 21, Peter came to, and said to, Je- to Jesus, Lord, how often shall, I, shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. And Jesus is not saying 490 times and the 491st time you don't. He's saying there is no limit to this. Right? He's using an exaggeration. There's no limit. And then he goes on to tell them this. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And the slaves here are not as we think of slaves in our culture, in our history as a, as a country. He's talking about people in his kingdom. He's the king, and everyone in his kingdom is a subject to the king, and they're his slaves. And so he's wanting to settle financial accounts with some of the, the people in his kingdom. And so he, when he had begun, verse 24, to settle them, there was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents, according to commentators, could potentially equal about $10 million dollars. Um, again, I think Jesus is making the, the, the point here, not, not to say this is an exact amount, as much as he's saying this is an amount that is way beyond an individual's ability to pay. This debt is beyond comparison, beyond comprehension, beyond uh, an ability to, to pay back. And so he says, and since he did not have the means to repay, verse 25, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had, and repayment to be made. And the slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt 
compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But when that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, which was about uh, two months' wages, he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. And so his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, however, and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. And summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each one of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. That story would have been great if it would have ended the, the verse before, right? So here we have Jesus illustrating what forgiveness is supposed to look like among brothers and sisters, fellow citizens in his kingdom under his rule. First slave owed incalculable unpayable debt. He didn't even understand how bad it was because he thought he could repay it. But the king had compassion on him and released him and forgave him the entire debt. Don't owe me nothing. Nothing. And out of gratitude to that king, he turns around and finds a fellow citizen who owes him a pittance in comparison to what he just got forgiven of and he demands that this man pay him. And when he treats him in the very same way that he entreated the king, the same words Jesus uses, have mercy, have patience on me. Instead of saying, oh, you know what? Man, I remember how much I was forgiven. I will, I will forgive you this little. No, he said he's unwilling. And he had him thrown into prison until he paid his debt. You see, how is that possible? Well, it's only possible. It happens all the time. All the time. And other citizens were so confused and so disturbed by this reality that they went to the king and they said, what in the world's going on? Did, did you really forgive him that debt? And if you did, then what? You know what he did over here? And so the king comes. This king summons this, this first slave and he says, what, what, what's going on? Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And he was moved with anger. And so he had him turned over to the torturers until he paid back what he owed. So here's the question. What did he owe? Did the king renege on his commitment to forgive the debt? And remember, Jesus is telling this story about the kingdom. 
and we, we, we make the obvious assumption that the king represents God. <clears throat> this first slave most likely represents us in our salvation, a debt we cannot pay. It's been forgiven us completely. And then we go out and we don't forgive our, our fellow uh, brother or sister who did something to us. And now God comes to us and says, I'm going to throw you to the tortures until you pay back what you did. Does that mean that God has reneged on his forgiveness to us? It does not mean that at all. I think verse 35 is the key, or 33 is the key to this. Again, the king said to him, Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave even as I had on you? I believe... And I've, I've studied this, and I've read many commentators, and because I've, I've been confused about this, and I've struggled with this for a long time, I think the answer is this. And it's not my answer, but it, but it comes from uh, some commentators. And not all agree on this, but here's the issue. What the, what the slave owed the king was not all the debt that he had forgiven. He owed him the simple courtesy of extending the same grace and mercy to a fellow as he was extended by the king. And because he was unwilling to do that, the king turned him over to torturers. To be tortured. Until what? Until he paid what he owed. That is, until he forgave his brother from his heart. And Jesus said, So shall my heavenly Father also do to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I think there are a lot of people in the church, outside the church, believer or unbeliever, who are, who are tortured, who are tied up with all kinds of things in their life. Why? Because they cannot forgive somebody else for what they did to them. Let's just talk about believers. I think there are a lot of people who know Christ as their Savior. <clears throat> and they may or may not attend church regularly. Because there are people out there who have genuinely come to a place in their life where they recognize their sin before God and they, they realize what Jesus did for them. They received the gift of salvation by faith. But because of their because something happened to them, something someone did, probably another believer, and they were unwilling to forgive. Bitterness began to grow in their heart. And they decided, There's, you know what, why should I go to church and hear these messages over and over again um, by a bunch of hypocrites? I'm not going. I still have a relationship with Christ. Again, we don't know their heart, but there's potentially people out there that, that this is the truth. But they're not darkening the door of a church anymore because, because they're all tied up. They've been handed over to this torture. And life is miserable. And there are people who attend church every week but have decided, I'm only going to listen to those messages that, that I can put into practice. Well, I'm going, to, I'm going to learn it all. I've got all this intellectual knowledge. I've got all this understanding of the Bible. But, but when it comes to forgiving somebody from the heart, and nobody knows that because it's in my heart, I'm going to hold on to that one. 
And I believe that one of, if not the most uh, prolific reason why many believers cannot seem to get past uh, uh, being a baby Christian in their walk with Christ. They might not have a lot of knowledge, but they, they can't seem to have good relationships with people. Can't seem to get over anything because they have unforgiveness in their heart. They're unwilling to extend to their fellow brother or sister the very same thing that God has extended to them. And I believe God has tied them up in knots. Never understand love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of the Holy Spirit who is at work in our lives because we have un because of unforgiveness in our hearts. And I know there are some people hearing me right now and are saying, but you don't know what happened to me. I, I, maybe I don't. But I don't need to understand because I'm not the one saying this. This is God. This is Jesus' word. I understand it's hard. And you can't do it without God's help. So then what does forgiveness mean? Five statements. Complete acknowledgement of what of the wrong that was committed and yet still forgiving. Right? We're not we're not excusing it. We're not turning a blind eye to it. We're not pretending it didn't hurt. We're not doing any of those things. We're we're, we're realizing this is what happened to me. This is what this person did to me. Whether they knew what they were doing completely or not is irrelevant. This is what was was done. And yet I still choose to extend forgiveness. Even though the debt that this second slave owed to the first slave was so far uh, less than what he owed, it still was a debt. He still owed it. Jesus isn't saying in this parable that he didn't legitimately owe that debt and that he's just simply saying, You've been forgiven. Extend the same thing to him. You, we could say it's a, it's a family rule. It's a family um, expectation. We all have them in our families, right? I mean, when our kids were, were teenagers and they were first getting their, their cell phones, and, and, you know, we made a rule. Well, I made a rule. <laughs> and that is that we do not take pictures or videos of anyone in our home and post it somewhere out there without getting their consent first. Because a lot of funny things happen in homes. And they might be funny within the context of a family, but they may be really embarrassing if it gets outside of the family. And one of the family rules is we love each other. We care for one another. We protect each other's honor. And so we're not going to do that. And if you do, there will be consequences. That doesn't mean you're kicked out of the family. It doesn't mean you, you lose your family status. It just means there will be consequences within the context of a family. And I think this is what Jesus is saying in this, in this story. There are family expectations. Second, choosing to keep no record of wrongs. 
1 Corinthians, again, 13, 4 and 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. does not uh, envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account wrong suffered. We do not keep records of wrongs. We acknowledge what happened, but I'm not going to hold on. I'm not going to keep a record of it. Thinking, well, okay, this is what you owe me, and then I have, now I have a right to hurt you back, and now we're even, right? That's how the world operates. That's the flesh. That's not how we operate as the family of God. Thirdly, extending mercy and grace. Again, remember, mercy, not getting what we do deserve. Justice. Grace, getting what we do not deserve. Favor. And so I choose to extend mercy. I'm not going to require you to pay me back what you owe me. In fact, I'm going to extend grace to you. I'm going to treat you as if you never owed it to me in the first place. One of the ways that we can demonstrate this kind of love, this kind of forgiveness, is that we do not go around telling everybody what, what happened to us. We don't go around telling everybody, oh, did you know what so-and-so did? Oh, yeah, I forgave him. But you're telling everybody. And what happens when you do that is you're, you're slandering their name. You're, you're ruining their reputation. And why would you ever do that to a fellow brother or sister or anyone else for that matter, fellow human being? Because you want them to feel what it feels like to be hurt. It's not how we operate, brothers and sisters, in the family of God. Now let me say this, too. This does not mean that it's wrong to turn someone into the authorities who has committed a crime. We need to understand that. This is, we get confused on this. We think, well, if I forgive them, then I've got to let them get away with with something that was that was actually a, a, a crime in this in our society, isn't it? We can forgive somebody in our heart what they owe us, but still allow them to face the consequences of their actions in this world. And so, please do not hear that we must let somebody who committed. Um, rape or, or, or some kind of crime against us, that by forgiving them, we're letting them off the hook from the crime. Not at all. In fact, in many cases, the most loving thing we can do is turn them in. Because if we don't, they're going to do it to someone else. But from our perspective, we're extending mercy and grace to that person. Fourthly, letting go of bitterness. Hebrews chapter 12, 14 and 15 says, Pursue peace with all men, and a sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it, many be defiled. We cannot let bitterness take root in our heart. Somebody once said, and I've repeated this many times, bitterness is the poison we drink expecting the other person to die. This, again, this is 
probably why so many people cannot have a close, deep walk with Christ. Because there's a root of bitterness. They're drinking the poison. Because they think that if I drink this poison of bitterness, and I'm, I'm somehow making that person pay for what they've done. That person isn't paying anything. You are. It's illogical. It's as illogical as the first slave saying to the second slave, I'm going to throw you in jail until you pay what I owe. And by the way, when you're in jail, you can't earn any money. So guess what? You're never going to be able to pay me. That's, stu- that's just stupid. That's not, that's not justice. That's not saying, well, I, I want my money back. That's saying, I want you to pay. Right? And there's a difference. I want you to feel pain. When we hold on to bitterness, we're, we're drinking that poison, and we're the ones who are suffering. In fact, we're letting them have power over us. The very thing that you do not want to do is give them any more power in your life. But holding on to bitterness is exactly what we're doing. We're letting them continue to have power in our life. And then the last one. Here's when you know that you've let go of bitterness. Praying for God's blessing upon you. Jesus said, Luke chapter 6, 27 to 28, I say to you, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I know bitterness has left my heart when I can pray for somebody else that God will bless them and actually mean it. Sometimes, I confess to you, sometimes I've done this Simply out of obedience. Lord, your word tells me I must do this. I'm going to do it. But I'm going to do it while my teeth are gritted. You know? I really don't want this. But I'm doing it out of obedience. I know when I have truly let go of it and I've forgiven and bitterness no longer resides in my heart about that issue when I can truly pray for that person and desire God to bless in their life. I could share with you personal stories. I choose not to do that. Because first of all, I do not want to in any way, if I have truly forgiven, I do not want that person's reputation to be smeared in any way. And secondly, because if I've forgiven, then I am set free. I don't need to talk about it. And I can tell you that the the one thing that that was perpetrated against me that I have had the most difficulty with I have been able to forgive so completely that when I am in this person's presence, 
I never think about the offense. I'm able to continue to maintain a relationship never once when I'm with this person, which isn't very often, but when I'm with this person, I do not ever think about what happened and what was done. That's how I know my heart's for you. And I pray for this person periodically. That's very difficult. And I can also, also honestly tell you that as I've been preparing this message, you know, it's easy to think about those things that happened way back when, aren't continuing to happen, and I've worked through it over years. But the Lord helped me to see, then what? What about the things that continue to happen that aren't nearly as big? In fact, probably the person who's doing it doesn't even know they're doing it. Are you practicing forgiveness continually? So that's a challenge, one that I continue to work on in my life. By the way, just so you know, that person that I spoke about is not in our church. <laughs> it's not anyone that either any of you probably know. So, But let me conclude with this story. Jack took a long look at his speedometer before slowing down. 73 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. The fourth time in as many months, how could a guy get caught so often? When his car had slowed to 10 miles an hour, Jack pulled over, but only partially. Let the cop worry about the potential tra traffic hazard. Maybe some other car will tweak his backside with a mirror. The cop was stepping out of his car, big pad in hand. Bob? Bob from church? Jack sunk further into his trench coat. This was worse than the coming ticket. A cop catching a guy from his own church. A guy who happened to be a little eager to get home after a long day at office. A guy who was about to play golf with tomorrow. Jack jumps out of the car and he approaches Bob and says, um, says to the man he sees every Sunday, a uh, man in uniform, Hey, Bob, fancy meeting you here. Hello, Jack. No smile. I guess you caught me red-handed in a rush to see my wife and kids. Yeah, I guess. I've seen some really long, long days at the office lately, and I, I'm afraid I bent the rules a bit. Just this once, Jack toed at the pebble on the pavement. You know, Diane said something about roast beef tonight, and really was looking forward to getting home. Know what I mean? I know what you mean. I also know that you have a reputation in our precinct. Ouch. This wasn't going in the right direction. Time, time to, to change tactics. Well, what'd you clock me at? 70. Would you get back in your car, please? Oh, wait a minute here, Bob. I checked as soon as I saw you, and I was barely, barely nudging 65. The lie seems to come easier every time. Please, please, Jack, just get back in the car. Flustered, Jack hunches himself through the still open door, slamming it shut. He stared at the dashboard. He was in no rush to open the window. Minutes ticked by. Bob scribbled away on the pad. 
Why hadn't even asked for my driver's license? Whatever the reason, it would be a month of Sundays before Jack, uh, Jack ever sat near this cop again. A tap on the door jerked his head to the left, and there was Bob, folded paper in hand. Jack rolled down the window a mere two inches, just enough for room for Bob to pass him a slip. Thanks a lot, Jack said. Bob returned to his police car without a word. Jack watched his re retreat in the mirror. Jack unfolded the sheet of paper. How much was this going to cost? Wait a minute. What, what is this? Some kind of joke? Certainly not a ticket. Jack began to read. Dear Jack, once upon a time I had a daughter. She was six when she was killed by a car. You guessed it, speeding driver. A fine and three months in jail and the man was free. Free to hu hug his daughters, all three of them. I only had one. I'm going to have to wait to heaven before I hug her again. A thousand times I've tried to forgive that man. A thousand times I thought I had. Maybe I did. I need to do it again. Even now, will you pray for me? Please be careful, Jack. My son is all I have left. Signed, Bob. <clears throat> Jack turned around in time to see Bob's car pull away and head down the road. Jack watched it disappear, and a full 15 minutes later, after he composed himself, he pulled away, drove home slowly, praying for forgiveness and hugging his surprised wife and kids when he got home. <clears throat> forgiveness isn't easy. We have to keep doing it over and over again, especially when it's something so difficult. But let me tell you, when you are able to forgive and extend grace and mercy to others who have clearly offended you, there's nothing that speaks more clearly God's grace and mercy. And it acts like that. We can preach a thousand sermons on forgiveness, and they may fall on deaf ears. But when we extend forgiveness and a person knows that they do not deserve it, there's something that happens in the heart. God uses you and I and the way we treat other people to soften hearts so that they're prepared to hear the good news of God's forgiveness. It very well may be, if I may be so bold as to say, that there's a person out there that you have not forgiven. And not only are you all tied up in knots, but they might be as well. And it may be your willingness to let it go in your heart and extend forgiveness that may actually be the very thing that softens them to hear the gospel. I don't know. But for your sake, I commend to you the words of Jesus. Should not 
you also have had mercy on your fellow servant, fellow individual, fellow human being, even as I had mercy on you. That is one of the rules of being in the family of God. And may God give you extra measure of grace to be able to do that. And may He use that forgiveness from your heart towards someone else to open their heart to God's forgiveness. Maybe they're a fellow believer. Maybe they can't seem to experience God's peace because they know they've wronged Him. And they know they can never make up for it. And until, until there's an extension of forgiveness, they just can't seem to, to get through. I, I don't know. But I know God is calling us to a higher standard. And He's not just calling us to it. He's giving us the grace to do it. Will you trust Him? Will you, will you step into it and let God lead you in that? Let's pray. Our gracious, merciful God, I, I know these words are hard to hear, especially for those who are, who are holding on to something they know they should let go of. It seems so hard. God, I ask that you would just meet them in this moment. Assure them that you will walk with them through this. Remind them how, how glorious it is to be forgiven. As the psalmist said, blessed are those who have been Forgiven their iniquity. God, would you minister deeply and profoundly? Help them walk this journey. May be difficult. May they find somebody, Father, who they can trust to share this with, that they can pray and encourage them in this matter. God, you want to unlock the door from that jail cell. You want to you wanna release them from the tortures. God, but you want us to walk out that door. So I ask for your help. And God, we pray that you will minister to person who may be in the hearing of my voice who has never been released from their own sin before you, who does not and has not ever come to that place of saying, God, I am a, I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I need salvation. I need to be reconciled in relationship with you. God, that in this moment they might say, God, you did this for me. I confess and receive your forgiveness. I trust Jesus. What a glorious, glorious thing that happens in heaven 
God help us. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundant beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be all the glory in the church in Christ Jesus through all generations forevermore.